Welcome to Whole and Holy, the Bethel Seminary podcast. I'm Dr. Peter Vogt. I'm the Dean of Bethel Seminary, and I'm hosting this episode of Whole and Holy. I'm joined today by Dr. Mark Strauss and Dr. Justin Irving. Mark is the University Professor of New Testament at Bethel University. He's the author of over 15 books and numerous articles on hermeneutics and New Testament. Justin is Professor of Ministry Leadership and the Director of the DMIN program at Bethel Seminary, and both are significantly involved in and committed to churches and serve in a variety of ways. They have co-written a book called Leadership in Christian Perspective, and so I thought it'd be good to have them on to talk about their book and the contributions that it makes to leadership in the local church. So Mark and Justin, thanks so much for being on this episode of Whole and Holy. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Well, I want to start by asking, how is it that you came to write this book together? It's a little bit unusual to have a professor of New Testament and a professor of leadership writing a book on on leadership. So how did that come about? Well, Mark and I have been colleagues on the faculty at Bethel for a number of years, and I've had a lot of respect for Mark and the work he's done. But if I'm remembering some of the initial seeds of this conversation for us. It was a, a doctor of ministry intensive that was taking place out in San Diego. And we had uh, we invited Mark to be our chapel speaker uh, during that week. And uh, he focused on Mark 10, uh, talking about principles of leadership and servant leadership. And uh, kind of a lot of light bulbs started going on for me at that point, realizing that uh, Mark's view of leadership was really consistent with and resonating with my understanding of leadership, both from a biblical perspective, but also what contemporary research says about effective leadership practice Mm. as well. And so that that launched a lot of conversations on my end and a desire to kind of uh, dream with Mark about how we might uh, do something together. Mark, not sure if you're uh, remembering those same uh, uh, roots of the conversation, but that's what comes to mind for me. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. And I've, I've appreciated Justin's work for, for a long time in leadership, but particularly his work with purpose. And so when he suggested the opportunity of a collaboration, um, I jumped it. I think cross-disciplinary work can be really productive uh, for both parties um, as we get to know the other person's field and, and integrate aspects of our field. And so we just started having, having conversations. Um, I think several years we, we would stop and talk about this and, and sort of reach the subject of, of maybe writing something together. Well, that's great. Well, it's a, it's a great work. I've enjoyed interacting with it. Uh, and thank you for, for the work that you did in, in writing it. What would you say, um, kind of the, the main contributions that you're, you're making in this, in this book? I'd say uh, twofold. One is just trying to uh, change the conversation about what effective leadership looks like. Uh, we've got a lot of voices talking about leadership. You know, you have the leadership summit and other people that are uh, emphasizing their angle and approach on leadership. And a lot of it's quite helpful. Uh, we appreciate those diverse voices. But uh, increasingly, we're wanting to change the conversation to be more about empowerment. How do we empower the people of our organizations to thrive? How do we empower the people of our community uh, to be all that God has called them to be uh, in their work in that organization? So we, we emphasize 
emphasize something called empowering leadership. That's really one of the key distinctives that we're bringing to the table. The other distinctive is the, is the integrative nature of the project that Mark already highlighted. Uh, we're wanting to say, um, what's the best that we can get at in terms of leadership study uh, from general leadership? So contemporary research, contemporary theory, we want the best of what's available out there, mm-hmm. but we want to bring that into conversation with biblical foundations and theological reflection as well. And so that's what Mark brings to the table, my expertise more in leadership research, and we're coming together to have this integrative conversation in the book, and I think it's a pretty unique contribution to the field. Yeah, I would, I would just agree with that. And um, everybody talks about servant leadership, and we all, we all know we're supposed to be servant, servant leaders, but, but what do we mean by, by servant leaderships? Um, most leadership models still really talk about um, power, um, and if not power, they'll terms, use terms like influence or persuasion. The idea um, in most leadership is to get others to accomplish your goals, to have specific goals and to get others to accomplish your goals. By, but Justin's saying, by, by changing the conversation, if you're talking about empowerment, uh, you're not talking about your goals, you're talking about the, go- the calling, God's calling in someone's life, and you're empowering and enabling them to accomplish that purpose in their life. So empowerment is focused on enabling um, others to achieve what God has called them to do, rather than using, influencing, controlling, coercing, any terms you use, um, to get others to do your agenda, essentially. Hmm. That's great. Well, let's jump in and talk a little bit about how this is relevant for our listeners. Uh, so what would you say is the some of the greatest leadership challenges that are faced by the church today? And a second part of the question would be, how is empowering leadership relevant to those challenges? And whoever wants to go first can can dive in. Mark, I wonder if you want to jump in on this. I'm, I'm just even thinking of some of the uh, the articles we've been asked to do in addressing some of these challenges in the church. Yeah, we. I mean, we have a leadership crisis in America. I think um, we see the number of leaders, prominent leaders, who fall um, fall into sin or uh, a variety of ways. Whether you know whether it's uh, immorality or whether it's just leadership abuse, um, uh, we we see that sort of on the national stage. That happens so often. But we also see it played out um, on the smaller stage in our local churches as uh, churches face crises and um, leadership conflict between pastor and board, between layperson and pastor. And, and th- these issues always seem, always seem to come down to the same thing. They come down to power. Um, people um, have power or influence. Someone gets in their way or, or steps on their power and they respond by, by fighting back. And um, it, it's, I'm convinced it's the wrong model of leadership. We're still, we're still thinking in terms of our personal influence as opposed to enablement, empowering others to accomplish all that God has called them to do. Hmm. You think about uh, one of, one of the, the groups that we're working with has asked us to do an article is, is talking about the theme of how do you lean into humility and leadership in an age of celebrity status? Mm. We've got, you know, we've got these pastors and Christian leaders that are kind of these uh, celebrity icons in our world. How do you do humble, empowering leadership in an age where uh, both the leaders and their organizations are sort of clamoring for these end-all charismatic leaders? And we just think that the Bible and contemporary research has something to say to this uh, Mm. context and this milieu. 
Uh, if we really are focusing on effective leadership practices that are concerned for what God's up to in the lives of people and how we can come alongside those followers, come alongside those organizational members, team members to empower them to be all that God has called them to be, uh, that, that, that kind of takes a bite out of this celebrity status and raises up the conversation and power of humility and mm-hmm. leadership uh, in the midst of it. What strikes me, it's what you're talking about is really radically countercultural in so many ways. Mm. When you think we live in an era of the the YouTube influencer, and that's a job. That's a, that's someone's actual job is to to create videos that will influence people to to think a certain way, to do a certain way. And so, the idea of humility really runs counter to to that. And I think most Christian leaders would not embrace this idea that it's about it's about celebrity and status but i think it creeps in in the same way that sometimes materialism and consumerism and and other kinds of well i would call them pathologies i guess from our culture creep in to to the church so what would you say are some of the the main emphases from from your book that will help in addressing that emphasizing humility and also uh, addressing some of those leadership challenges. I, I think I think Peter, what you just said is 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 really important. Um, that not only do people not rec not um, embrace that, but they don't even recognize it in many ways. It 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 dem- it does demand a, a sea change in the way we do leadership. Um, and you know, some several thousand years ago, there was a guy who tried to radically change the model of leadership um, and. You know, that was, that was Jesus. When he came along and said, if you want to be great, um, you've got to be the least. If you want to be to lead, you've got to be the servant or slave, the doulos of all. That was just absolutely radical in that cultural context. And so I, I think it, it does. It demands we step back and say, okay, we need to rebuild what a leader is from the ground up. Hmm. Yeah, and, and in the book, we try to get at some some practical leadership practices that go alongside this. So it's not just, yes, yes, we do want to affirm the broad concept of humility, but we also want to say, now, leader, if you want to walk in the footsteps of Jesus, what do you do? What does this look like in practice? And so the book is outlined around nine practices. And a lot of times when we think about leadership, we want to jump right to the end. We're looking at, well, how do we be effective? How do we get to the goals that we want to uh, uh, pursue as an organization? That's important. But we want to backtrack from that to say, well, the people who accomplish those goals are the people of the organization. So how do we value those people? Mm-hmm. But you got to go even one step further. And uh, that's where you land on thinking about the leader as an authentic and purposeful person. How do they begin by looking at themselves? Now, that can sound counterintuitive, right? It can seem selfish to focus on Mm self-leadership, but the most effective forms of leadership begin when a leader is pressing into this honest self-evaluation, recognizing that they need to be a model of what they're expecting of others, and that it's ultimately not about them. They need to work in the context of a collaborative environment Mm -hmm. uh, to bring about these results. Mm -hmm. The term Justin used is is humble self-efficacy, and I think it's a great term because Self-efficacy recognizes that God has gifted this person, that they, that, that they are created in the image of God and given unique and empowering gifts. Um, but um, humble means that they're utilizing those gifts, not for their own um, aggrandizement, not for their own um, power, not for their own prestige, but 
to enable others to be all that God has called them to be. Hmm. That's great. And so what, what would be some of the things, uh, obviously, you know, we're going to, we're having a link to the book in the show notes. We want everybody to buy your book and, and that would be great. But what, what would be some of those, those practices that, that help foster this kind of, uh, empowering leadership that, mm-hmm. that I think is so, so helpful? Well, maybe we can just dive into some of them. So in the first sure. first, first part of the book, uh, we begin, practice number one is modeling what matters. And I think that's pretty intuitive, right? Mm-hmm. We, uh, parents get this, uh, effective leaders of team get this. You can't just tell other people what to do and then go do something else. You, we need to have leaders who are going to model what matters for that community. Uh, and lots of good examples of that, but certainly we see that in the life of uh, Jesus. We see that in the life of Paul. Paul's constantly saying, follow Follow me as I follow Christ. This idea of imitation in leadership is an important factor. So leaders need to be w- willing to model the way. Uh, the second practice is engaging in honest self-evaluation. And I think it's it's interesting because the research that supports this model, that was the most, um, that was the dominant variable in terms of what led to effectiveness in the organizations hmm. and teams that those leaders were working in. It seems counterintuitive that, you know, a leader who's being self-reflective is the one who is able to bring about greater results. But that's what the research was pointing to. Uh, I think of this this, this uh, quote from uh, the former CEO of the Girl Scouts saying, leadership is more a matter of one's being than one's doing. Hmm. I think that resonates with this principle of how do we pause and do self-leadership well mm-hmm. from the start of things? That's great. Yeah, and that idea of self-awareness is, is so critically important. Paul says in Romans 12, 3, for the, by the grace of Given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. So um, uh, self-awareness um, is, is so critically important. Understanding your strengths, understanding your weaknesses. Um, yeah, I, I just think that's, a, that's, that's really important, really significant in, in terms of the leader's um, abilities. I want to come back to that uh, in a minute, but I, I want to, because you raised you know, what Paul is writing there, and as a, an Old Testament specialist, I resonate so much with the, what you've done by bringing in biblical, biblical principles. Uh, of course, there, you know, a lot more Old Testament would have been even better, made the, a great book even better. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Volume two. Volume, there you go. <laughs> um, but I'm wondering, how, how do you avoid misreading or misusing the Bible when it comes to leadership. I mean, one of the points you make in the book, and I think is so important, is that the, the Bible is not a, a leadership handbook. And so, you know, I can imagine maybe some of our listeners might be thinking, well, you know, we just, we're, we're leading churches. So why do we need to be thinking about this in this way or, or bringing secular principles? Why, why don't we just use the Bible as our, as our guide for, for good leadership? After all, Jesus didn't go to Harvard and get an MBA or, and Paul didn't study at Wharton or, or anything like that. So what, what would you say in terms of your use of the Bible, how we can avoid uh, mis, misusing it and apply it appropriately? We believe it's important 
so how do we go about doing that? Mark, maybe you want to tackle Well, this is a perennial problem, isn't it? It's a problem in the way we as Christians tend to read the Bible because we're looking for quick answers. We want, we want the quick and simple answer. And so we, we tend to latch on to every biblical character as the model of leadership. And so you'll do a study of David, and every, every chapter seems to be you know, focused on some model of positive leadership. When, in fact, that's not the purpose of the narrative. And I think we need to step back and say, what is the purpose of the biblical story? And Peter, you've written on this as well. What is what is the meta narrative of Scripture, um, and what is it telling us? And ultimately, it's the story of, of redemption, the story of humanity's creation, fall, and redemption. And we need to enter into that story. And as we enter into that story and see how who God is, who we are in relationship to Him, how we walk with Him, we then do see and develop um, models of leadership and examples of leadership. Of course, we can say we see that in Jesus, par excellence of Christ, of sure. course, because Jesus doesn't misstep in terms of leadership. But, but does Paul misstep? We, we can, or can we look at everything Paul does as a model of leadership? Well, I don't, I don't think we can necessarily, because mm. not everything he does and says um, in the book of Acts, for example, when he and Barnabas have this conflict, um, is that a model of leadership, a positive model of leadership, or is it a negative model of leadership? Well, it's, it's not meant to be either necessarily, but it's part of God's purpose in carrying the gospel forward. We step back then and say, okay, what do we learn about Christian leadership from, from who God is, from his purpose in the world, from who we are in relationship to him, and how we come alongside his, his purpose and his goals in the world. And then leadership, again, then becomes not about us, but about accomplishing God's purpose. And that focuses, again, on the others, on the gifts that individuals have, on the on the equipping the leader as the person who equips others to accomplish God's purposes in the world, rather than accomplishing our in, our agenda, hmm. giving us influence, giving us position to accomplish our agenda. Well, well Mark uh, certainly can speak more to that biblical angle on things, but one of, one of the one of the values I have is that when we look at Scripture, God didn't use perfect leaders. He used fallen, broken people to bring about redemptive work in his world. And that's an encouragement. You know, so, you know, when Mark talks about uh, servant leadership in Mark 10, uh, one of the themes there, of course, is we're dealing with James and John getting it wrong along the way. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes when we have a a hermeneutic that we bring to the text, we want to sort of insert ourselves into the hero part of that story. We want to say, oh, we're going to be like Jesus. But some of the first step might be saying, how am I more like James and John? Mm -hmm. How am I getting it wrong? Um, that's that kind of honest self-evaluation we're talking about to say, where am I in need of gospel transformation in my life so that I'm being transformed so I can help bring about uh, leadership and transformation in the lives of other people as well? That's a great... That's, that's oh. so great. Yeah, that, that is... Yeah, I, I, and I think that's, that's exactly right. Because James and John, they do demonstrate some really positive qualities of leadership in that passage. Right, they believe Jesus is the Messiah, and they want to go to Jerusalem and fight the messianic war for him. They demonstrate great courage, um, but then they've got it wrong because the, going with that courage is this idea of, of self, of power, of, of enable, you know, enabling them to sit at the right and the left sides of Jesus to, to achieve that great position of authority by virtue of their powerful and courageous leadership. And Jesus says. You're, you're missing the point in terms of the goal of leadership. The goal of leadership is to accomplish God's purposes and not to accomplish our own. 
I'm thinking of when I was teaching on Genesis at one point, and I had a student in class who was looking at Abraham and basically arguing that because Abraham was a patriarch and was used, was chosen by God, everything that he did was therefore right. And, and I said, you can't look at you know, his actions in selling Sarai to, to Pharaoh in Egypt as a, as a positive example. It's very clear he causes her to commit adultery in that text. So, so I think that corrective is really helpful to recognize that these examples aren't all positive and we can learn from those. But I like what you said, Justin, about kind of identifying with the, the weakness and the mm-hmm. failure. Um, I can certainly do that in many points. Yeah. Well, I want to think about the application of, of some of this. Uh, I know that when I was a, a pastor, I was up to my eyeballs at times, it seemed, in, in all sorts of issues. And, and I mean, there's the, the regular weekly rhythm of sermon preparation and meetings and this sort of thing. And then there's the crises and the, these kind of things that come up. And it's, it's challenging, I think, to, to find the time for the kind of reflection that you're advocating and and the research says is so significant for effective leadership. So do you have any suggestions for leaders who want to improve their leadership, but they're constrained by these things? And mm-hmm. I think we should stipulate that the, um, you know, the, the most important suggestion is buying and reading your book. I hear they make great stocking stuffers <laughs> and uh, that sort of thing for, for folks. Uh, you know, every fourth grader needs to have a copy of this, uh, all family oh, and friends. Absolutely. That sort of thing. Did I did I get that right, guys? Am I? Saying oh yes, it right? uh, yes. And uh, of course, listening to Whole and Holy podcast would be right up there as well. Thank you. I was uh, I was hoping you'd uh, you'd say that. No, but what what suggestions yeah. do you have for for that for people who sure. want to improve in this area, mm-hmm. but the reality of life crowds in? Yeah. Um, so you know, in all seriousness, uh, having resources like this book or this podcast and other sources is helpful, but I don't think it's as helpful when it's in isolation. Mm. So to be able to gather a group of people that are going to be some conversation partners, and and you pick any resource you want that's engaging a conversation around leadership or ministry practice, it's good to do that reading together. You know, mm. a, a group of elders or uh, some fellow uh, church planters that you're doing uh, church planning work with, gather and have this as a conversation. It doesn't need to be a daily conversation, but why not say, hey, once a month, we're going we're gonna to have a leadership learning time together. Uh, read something, reflect on it, listen to a podcast session, reflect on it. Um, that's that's just kind of good to have a regularized rhythm in our lives mm. of learning in that kind of way. Uh, so just some specific resources, of course, beyond the podcast you're doing. We have some graduates of ours that are doing a podcast called the 200 Churches Podcast. And for those that are in smaller or mid-sized churches, they're, they're thinking about issues that are relevant to those mm. size churches. Uh, and that's been a valuable resource as well. But find, find some books. Find some uh, podcasts to listen to, and then get conversation partners to process those things with. Hmm, that's great. Mark, what would you add? Well, in terms of, of basic leadership practice, as, as we wrote the book and as we were develop, looking into these principles, really they're Justin's principles, but they, they so fit uh, with what Scripture says, it, I, it dawned on me how much this is all about discipleship, basically, which is hmm. training your replacements and, and, and not many pastors really think of their ministry in terms of training their replacements. When you start to, to refocus, instead of preaching just all, preaching a great sermon, writing the book, getting influence in the community, if you're thinking in terms of 
how can I equip the next generation? You're beginning to shift your, your model of leadership from power to empowerment. So I think mm. that sort of shift in mindset uh, to a, a discipling model, or maybe better to say training your replacement, since discipleship is such a, a you know, a, a overused term in many ways. So I think if, if pastors begin to think, okay, who's, who's the next generation? How can I begin to shift to them the leadership and authority in this church so that they will, you know, be equipped and ready to carry on in the next generation? Well, and it occurs to me that there's a an important dimension of that too in leading a church, the congregation and a board to see the value of that. Because I think it's it's very easy for everybody to get kind of tunnel vision on the moment and, and what's going to happen in the next month, the next year, the next you know couple of years. But training that next, that replacement uh, is something that's a, a years-long project perhaps, but but it's helping the the church to value that as an important ministry of the of the church not simply something that only the pastor has to think about and only only you know 6 months out from retirement or yeah. something like that this is something that has to happen in many instances i know not to be too self-referential here, but when I left the church that I was pastoring, the main reason I left was because through a process of prayer and discernment, I came to the conclusion that the the church needed someone with different gifts for the next phase in the life of its of its ministry. And I wasn't the leader for that. I wasn't unhappy. I wasn't clamoring to leave, but I felt like I was I was no longer the person that was going to lead. And so I had to to make that change. And I think that was hard for people to understand, but uh, in in some ways, but I think to to help the congregation understand that that's that's part of the ministry of the church is that that kingdom focus that's broader than next week's program or next week's sermon that sort of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, I think of uh, uh, some of these principles of th- talking about leadership in light of discipleship. We talk about Ephesians four as a model for why does God give leaders to the church? Well, it's not just to lead; it's about preparing that next generation to do yeah. the work of ministry. And I think that's true for leaders in any organization. Leaders are not there just to lead; they are there to help raise up a new generation of leaders. Uh, the church needs that. Uh, mm-hmm. Organizations, businesses need that. And and empowering leadership approaches uh, go hand in hand with that kind of understanding of leadership and discipleship. Do you think that's widely understood as as a priority of leadership is to is to train up the next generation of leaders or is that is that a, a growth edge as well? Whether or not it's understood, it's not very widely practiced and I think part of the reason is because disciples can be viewed as competitors and potential threats. Hmm. If this person preaches better than I do, I don't really want them in the pulpit twice a month. You know, if if this this person demonstrates better relational skills than me, then they might like them more than I, they like me. And so I, I think there there's a it, it's we we see this a lot where where pastors are reluctant to bring others into leadership simply because it's their church, hmm. and um, and that idea is just so pervasive. None of us like to admit it, but I think it is very pervasive in terms of the, the Christian leadership model we see um, throughout the country in particular. 
Mark has emphasized uh, leadership in light of God's purposes in the world. When we think about leadership as as really aligning with Great Commission kind of leadership, uh, uh, thinking of our organizations on mission, thinking of our organizations moving outside of themselves to the world around, you always need more people. You always need more leaders. Mm-hmm. You always need more church planters, more small group leaders. And so to not have this sort of zero-sum understanding of leadership, but to realize, no, if we're, if we're really going to bring about the mission that God has given us, we need all of God's people to be fully empowered to do their work to the glory of God. And that's a mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving from sort of an insular approach to being on mission, those kind of organizations, I think, do get uh, this priority of replication. Hmm. That's great. That's great. Yep. <laughs> well, I'm I'm looking at the clock and realizing we're we're almost out of time. Uh, is there any uh, final comments you'd like to make before we wrap things up here in terms of just uh, principles? Anything you want our listeners to to take away from uh, from this conversation and, and from your book before they go out and buy it. <laughs> that sounds great. Well, we appreciate the being able to talk about the, the book a bit. Uh, I would say, just as kind of some concluding thoughts, I'd like to brag a little bit about Bethel Seminary. Uh, Bethel Seminary has been saying since the mid-90s that leadership is a really important conversation. We want people who are paying attention to personal and spiritual formation. We want people who are grounded in good, sound, biblical, theological thinking. And we want people who know how to lead well and engage mm-hmm. in the communities and teams that they're a part of. So it's that. We've, you've referred to this as the three centers model of, of education. Uh, and I think that's a priority. And so bringing leadership into the conversation, whether here at Bethel or in other contexts, we'd love to see leadership be prioritized the way it has been here at Bethel for many years. Mm. Well, thanks for that. Uh, yeah. I would just say amen to that. That's, that's exactly right. Um, we we want to um, change the conversation mm-hmm. about leadership. Um, and um, I think Bethel has done a lot in that direction, and hopefully we'll move forward with it. That's great. Well, Mark and Justin, thank you first for writing the book. Uh, I think that's going to be a, a, an immensely useful contribution to the church and to the kingdom, and I know that's your desire more so than, all kidding aside, more so than selling books is the desire to <laughs> uh, to influence the kingdom, and I know that's your, your heart's desire, and I think it's going to have that effect. I've benefited from it, and I know others will as well. And thank you for taking the time to be on this episode of Whole and Holy. I really appreciate it. And this has been a great conversation. As always, the time has gone uh, very quickly, but uh, I thank you for that. And maybe we'll have to have a, a part two at some point, a continued conversation. Thanks so much for being a part of this. Thanks, Peter. Thanks, Peter. Enjoyed our time. Thank you for listening to, to Whole and Holy. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Whole and Holy. You can do so at iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please rate us on those platforms. Uh, it makes it easier for people to find us depending on our rating. So if you like what you hear, then please go ahead and, and give us a high rating. If you don't like what you hear, then email us and let us know and, and we can work on, work on that. The email address will be Uh, available to you in the show notes and as well as the resources that have been discussed on today's podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Whole and Holy. This podcast is a production of Bethel Seminary in collaboration with Bethel University's Office of Church Relations. Please share your feedback with us, including ideas you'd like to see in future episodes, by emailing us at wholeandholy at Bethel.edu. Once again, 
That address is holeandholy at Bethel.edu. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.